You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Thanks for joining us for our study of six of the Psalms of Ascent from the Old Testament. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and get ready to open God's Word together. Well, hey, Harvest, so excited to be with you again. Listen, they let me come back two weeks in a row. Let's, well, yeah, you say that now. Let's see if you regret it later. Sorry, but I'm really happy to be with each of you in Elgin. It's been a while since I've been out here. They had to stamp my passport on my way from Chicago all the way out here, but I'm really, really glad to be with each of you and glad to be with each of our campuses today as we're joining in to God's word. You know, it's really been exciting around our church. We've been uh, growing on pretty much all of our campuses and seeing a whole lot of new people uh, join our church. And if you're new to our church, we're so glad that you're here. You've come at a great time. And we are so expectant for what the Lord's going to continue to do in the future. And we've said often that our church is a battleship, not a cruise ship. We don't gather together just for fun or just for us to be happy and healthy and all of those sorts of things. Play shuffleboard together. I think that's what you do on a cruise ship. We don't do all of those things. We're about a mission together. We're a battleship together on mission for Jesus Christ. And every single believer is a part of that Navy together as we're accomplishing God's purposes here on earth. If you've turned from your sins and trusted Jesus Christ by faith, you are a disciple who is, whose job is to make disciples. We're here to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations for Jesus Christ and to worship him through that. And we want you to be a part of that. We have lots and lots of ways inside the walls of this church and outside the walls as we seek to reach out more with the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs him. And so on every campus this weekend, you can find somebody in the lobby and get connected to be a part of what God is doing here at Harvest and outside these walls as we seek to make disciples of all nations for his glory. It's something that we get to do together. There's a great privilege and opportunity when we're together in all of this. And we get the privilege each week to come together on a weekend service and be stirred up by God's word and one another and sent out to minister for him. Every week we open God's word. We place ourselves under the authority of scripture of what the Lord says so that we can grow in our walk with Jesus. And sometimes we come to church because we wanna learn something new. We see something in scripture. I've never seen that before. Uh, Sometimes we come to church because we desperately need to be encouraged. It's been a difficult week and I need some encouragement from God's word. Sometimes we come to God's word, we come to church to be challenged or or even corrected in our walk with him. Sometimes we come to church to be stirred up to serve him in greater ways. And sometimes we come to church because we need a fresh encounter with our God. We need to meet with him today. And I believe by faith that we've already done that in worship on each of our campuses. And I'm praying that our time in God's word today is just that. It's just an opportunity for us to meet with the Lord in a fresh way, that he would move today 
in our midst, in your heart and in mine for his glory. To that end, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your perfect word and how you give it to us as a message from you, a way that we're to follow you with our lives, to glorify you with all that we say and do. And Lord, would you be with us today as we look into the pages of your word? Would you be working in this room and in each room that we're meeting in this week? God, would, you, would your Holy Spirit be moving in and around each of these rows, touching hearts, encouraging minds, and strengthening us each day to follow you in greater ways? Would you fall and minister to us today through your word and through one another, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as has already been said, we're gonna be in Psalm 130 as we're continuing in our Psalms of Ascent study. So if you don't have your Bible there, please open it to there. You know, this psalm is it's a, one of a tone of urgency. It's a cry out to the Lord and a very real and raw at times cry. And what the psalmist is doing here, he's answered, answering the questions, what do I do in times of despair? What do I do when I feel like the wheels are coming off in my life? How am I supposed to live and act and think in the midst of such desperation in my life? When I feel like I'm in the depths, when there's darkness around, this psalmist gives a pattern for us to follow when we feel like everything is falling apart. So let's read it together, Psalm 130. Get your eyes on a copy of God's word, or if you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen with me here. The psalmist says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is a plea by the psalmist when he's in despair. When I'm in despair, first I call to the Lord. I call to the Lord. You'll notice what he says here, out of the depths, when I'm in this place of darkness, of depth, he uses this analogy of the depths. It's an image of the deepest ocean, that when I feel like I'm at the bottom of the sea and all the water is surrounding me, it's a picture of many troubles in our life. Even Jesus told us in this world, you will have troubles. So this isn't something that might happen. Maybe you're one of the unlucky ones. No, for each of us who follow Jesus Christ and live in this sinful, broken world, we can be sure we will be in the depths at some point. 
Some of you are there right now. Some of you have been there and have seen the Lord work and some of you will be there in the future. The body of water that you're in may have a different name, but the feeling of being in the depths is the same. The water could be called a chronic illness. The water could be called a season or a lifetime of depression. The water could be called circumstances that were caused by your own sin or by someone else. The water could be caused by a financial strain that's unexpected on your life. The, the water could be called a relationship that just cannot seem to get better no matter, no matter how much I try. The water could be called the death of someone who's close to Oh, there's lots of different names for the water. But the feeling of the depths is the same for each one of us. Whatever that water may be called, the feeling is that of drowning. The grief is so great. The pain is so deep and the season is so long. It's a very real and very difficult place to be in. But notice what the psalmist does here. He cries out to the Lord. I cry to you, O Lord. Hebrews 4 would tell us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Some of us find this very easy, actually. You're like, of course, when I'm in the depths, no problem. I'm like, Lord, help right now, I need you. Some of us are right there. And some of us find it actually to be the most difficult thing to do. When things are going really poorly, we try a lot of other things first. And some of us are not quick to run to the Lord, to call to him, to cry to him. Do you remember this story in John 11? This is where uh, Lazarus is raised from the dead. But before he's raised from the dead, he is sick. And they, Mary and Martha, his sisters, send word to Jesus and say, you got to come. He's sick. And Jesus hangs out where he is for a couple more days. And Lazarus dies. And they send word again. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus comes to Bethany where they are. And he's not even to the city yet. He's still outside their house, not on their property, outside the city. And Martha comes running out of the house, out of the city to meet Jesus. She falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they have this beautiful interchange about the resurrection and the life. It's an incredibly beautiful passage and a sweet, sweet moment between Jesus and Martha. But the thing that I hadn't noticed before until recently is Martha runs out the door to meet Jesus. And it says that Mary stays seated in the house. She didn't even get out of her chair. Now they've seen Jesus do miracles. They've seen incredible things. They know him to be the son of God, but Martha out the door right away, get me to Jesus now. And Mary can't even get off her chair. She, it's just, it's too much right now. I just, I can't. Jesus comes into the city and to the house and calls specifically for Mary. And then Mary comes out. And Mary says the exact same thing Martha did. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know, we don't have a tone in scripture, 
But based on the actions of those two ladies and all that they were feeling, I think the tone of those two statements, even though they were similar, the tone I think was very different. One of desperation, one of brokenness as Mary comes out of the house unsure, what is even happening, Lord? And some of us are like that. Some of us are very quick to run to Jesus in the moment of distress and to say, Lord, I need you to work, please. And some of us are kind of like, it it hurts too much right now. And it causes us to pull away from the Lord. But there's incredible grace of our Lord in this because he doesn't respond to Mary with any kind of shame or guilt or condemnation. He receives them both. He loves them both. He weeps with them both and ultimately answers both of their prayers. But the victory only comes with his presence. It only comes when we call out to him. You may be quick to do that. You may be slow to do that, but it is the only way today if you hear his voice, cry out to the Lord, call out to him, run to Jesus. Do it in your brokenness, but do it with confidence. We call out to the Lord in our season of despair. And when I'm in despair, I remember forgiveness. I remember forgiveness. He says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. And then he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. He remembers Forgiveness. He says, if you were fair, everyone would be condemned. No one could stand before you, Lord. God, if you were to write down in a book all of the things that I've done, I would be condemned before you and have no right to stand before you. You see, even in the darkest times of despair, the psalmist recognizes that his greatest need is the forgiveness of his sins that his greatest need is to remember the forgiveness that he has. Because oftentimes when we're in that place of depth, when we're in that place of despair, we can be so focused on, God, would you move in this person's life? God, would you move in my finances? Would you move in my health? Would you move in my career? And we get to where we're so focused on that and we should call out to the Lord on that thing. But we should never neglect the fact that our greatest need is for a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And we have forgiveness by his blood because of what he has done for us. It's very easy when we're in the depths to overlook these familiar things about the gospel, to overlook some of these central things because of their familiarity. Now, if I were to come to your house Monday morning and show up right as you're walking out the door to your car to go to work, and I would show up and I'd hand you a hundred dollar bill and say, you know, this, I just wanted to bless you today. Be like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. 
I can't show up at all your houses. Sorry, that's a lot. So you'd be like, this is amazing. That, that's so kind of you. So that, then Tuesday rolls around. You're coming out the door to get to your car, to drive to work. And I, I walk up again, here's another hundred dollars just, just to bless you. I just, just wanted to bless you. It's like, my goodness, two days around. Uh, Wednesday, I come back. And Thursday, I come back. And for e- each day while you're headed out the door to work, I hand you a hundred dollar bill. You're like, this is amazing. This goes on for several weeks because I'm just that generous of a guy. And, and then several weeks later, you know, I, I, I had a late night on Wednesday night. And so Thursday rolls around and I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm kind of running late and you're, you get out the door and where, where's Jeff? Where is he? And, and you sit down in your car and you're like, my goodness, I'm gonna be late for work. And I run up and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was, I was running late. Here, here's your hundred dollars. Have a great day. You're like, oh, okay, thanks. You, know, you drive away. So it, it happens again. And I come, you're sitting in your car like, I'm, my boss is gonna be mad. I can't, where is this guy? Where is my hundred dollars from this guy? I can't believe that he is late again. See the familiarity of it gets us where we're so used to the gift that we forget the incredible extravagance of it. The familiarity of the gift makes you forget the grace of it. And oftentimes in our lives, especially when we go through seasons of despair and darkness, we forget because of familiarity, we forget the incredible grace that we've been given in forgiveness. The forgiveness that God promises to every person who turns from their sins and trusts Jesus Christ by faith. You have been forgiven. You've been washed clean. He's taken care of all of it. All of it has been forgiven. Don't ever miss the incredible grace of forgiveness of sins that we receive from Jesus Christ because of what he has done. Don't ever forget that he reached down and picked me up off of the mire, dead in my sins, in darkness, away from God. He reached down out of love and grace and pulled me up, set me on the rock and forgave me of everything that I could have done in the, fu- in the past and anything that I could do in the future. It's all been forgiven. All of it has been cleansed. That's the measure of God's love and his faithfulness towards us. It's shown perfectly in that picture of Jesus on the cross in your place, in my place. And if he is willing to do that for me, if he is willing to forgive such great sin, I am a big bag of sin, trust me. If he is willing to forgive that great sin against him and wash me clean, he's able to take care of this thing that I have. He's able to reach down to me when I feel like I'm in the depths. When I'm in despair, remember forgiveness. And when I'm in despair, wait and trust. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord. Now, even I can figure out that that's a pretty important thing going on in this passage, right? Wait, wait, wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope my soul waits for the Lord 
more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. We're waiting on the Lord. And sometimes this is the most difficult thing for us to do. What does it mean to wait? Well, it means to stay in a place of expectation. It's a deep longing for the Lord to rescue us from our distress, to work. God, I'm, I'm waiting for you to do it. I have expectation that you're gonna do it and I'm gonna sit right here until you do it. And it can be incredibly frustrating. I don't know anyone who loves to wait. Nobody's like, woohoo, I'm gonna get to the doctor's office early so I can sit in that room longer. Nobody thinks that. All of us hate to wait. And the doctor's office, they have a room called a what room? A waiting room. They intend to use it. They named the room that. You will be waiting. It, now, it might be a different amount of time based on the day and the schedule and all those kinds of things, but you will be waiting. You will be sitting there looking at the People's Magazine from like three years ago. You will be sitting there waiting with expectation that at some point that door is going to open and they're going to call my name and I'm going to go in there and stand on the scale and all of those sorts of things. But there's, there's a waiting that's happening. One of the most frustrating to me is on a plane, um, because I, I have, like, I get a headache sometimes on planes when I read. I know it's weird, but um, so I can't really read too much on a plane. And I, I've tried sleeping and I'm terrible on a plane. I'm just, and I'm not willing to pay. So I'm always like in the back, in a middle seat between the two biggest dudes on the whole plane. And, um, and so my whole time on a plane is this, just staring at the tray table because there's not much I can do. I'm just sitting there, but I'm waiting, trusting that the pilot is gonna get me to the city that's on the ticket. That's all I can do is sit there and wait for it to happen. There's nothing I can do except sit and wait and trust. Now, waiting doesn't mean don't do anything. It, it, it doesn't mean don't get help. It doesn't mean don't gather people around you. If you're going through a difficult time, reach out to the church, reach out to your small group. You need to have people around you. You remember last week we talked about dwelling in unity. That's what this is about, is when we're going through difficult times, have some sisters, some brothers around you who can help you through it. And if you need some help in your family or in finances or whatever, reach out to the church. We're here, we want to help you with those things. It also, I just, as a side, I have to say, like, it doesn't mean stay in a dangerous situation. If what you're waiting for is for some abuse to stop, call the police. There are specific things that you can do and should do to protect yourself in things like that. That's not what this is talking about. What this is talking about is I'm not going to walk to the front of the plane and start banging on the door and be like, hey, pilot, can I help you with some of those dials in there? What can I do? What can I do? Can we get there faster? We'll get there when we get there. I'm trusting the pilot to get me there in time. One passage that's been super helpful for me, I had a professor years ago who said, in seasons of waiting and asking the Lord, read Psalm 37 every single day. Oh my goodness. Over and over, the psalmist says, wait, trust, do what's right. Wait, trust, 
do what's right. And sometimes that is so hard to do. I wanna go fix it myself. I wanna go have that conversation with that person. I wanna give them a piece of my mind. I wanna go, but no, I'm waiting, I'm trusting the Lord and I'm doing what's right. No matter what, I'm going to seek to do what God's word has to say. Now we're all sinful and we all fall in many ways, but thankfully, remember, we remember forgiveness. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And out of that place, I'm seeking as I wait and trust the Lord to do everything I can to follow what God's word has to say. And I'm trusting him with the results. When, it, when I don't feel like it, when it doesn't make sense, when, well, that person's not doing what God's word has to say. Wait, trust, do what's right. Here in Psalm 130, the psalmist says we hope in his word. We trust in God's word. I have found in seasons of waiting, in periods of my life that, have, that I've felt in the depths, the most faith stirring thing that I have been able to do is to saturate myself with God's word, just into it, into it, into it over and over to find those places where there are promises and commitments and faithfulness of God through the pages of his word. What I would commend to you is in your Bible, underline it, put a star next to it, highlight it in a specific color or something like that. It's orange in my Bible. And I'm telling you, when you have a season where you're in distress and you're like, Lord, I need you now to be able to pick up your Bible off of the desk and be like there, orange, boom, is so helpful to saturate yourself not with what I see in the world, not with what my friends at work tell me, but with what God says about it. I'm hoping in his word. I can't, because I don't have enough time, go through every passage that has ever been helpful to me in this. I can't give you every orange one, but what I'd like to do is give you a couple of them. So you gotta hang with me for a minute. We're gonna look at God's word a whole bunch right here because I'm believing that God's word is the thing that stirs our faith. So I wanna look at a couple passages of scripture. These are some that are highlighted in orange in my Bible that are so helpful. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? All of those sleepless nights, those times at three in the morning when you've been awake, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. You felt anxiety and fear about what's happening and you're tossing. He's kept count of your tossing. Every sleepless night, God sees that. He knows what you're going through. He's aware of it. And then put my tears in your bottle. Every stoplight that you've sat at weeping, over the trial that you're going through. Every time when you've been at home, kneeling beside your bed, tears pouring down your face, every single tear God has caught in a bottle. He keeps track of it all. He sees it all. Are they not in your book? He's written down everything that you're going through. He's aware and he's near to us in all of it. Isaiah 41. Fear not, here it is, for I am with you, if the pen works. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. 
I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When has God ever promised that he would do something and failed to do it? Never. Right here, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It is a promise from our heavenly father. He will surely do it. Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, God's already taken care of your sins. He's given us his son because of how much he loved you. That's the measure and the display of his love. He's got everything else. Everything else is so insignificant compared to the sin that he's already forgiven us from. He will graciously give us all things. 1 Peter 5, and after you have suffered a little while, I find this super encouraging. When you're in the midst of a trial and you're waiting, it feels like an eternity. But in the grand scheme of eternity, it's a breath. It's over like that. It's so brief. You've suffered just a little while. The God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, God himself will be the one. He's not sending an angel for this. Gabriel's not showing up at your house. God himself is the one who does that. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God himself will come to us in the midst of that. Incredible truths of God's word. You still with me? Okay, good. Because these are important. I got two more. Psalm 27. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. When? In the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is super encouraging to me because oftentimes when I'm waiting, I remember verses like Romans, out of Romans 8, where it says that God's working all things for the good of those who love him. And that is absolutely true. And that is an eternal good that at the end of days, when I'm in heaven, I'm gonna be standing there and be like, it was all good, God. I can see what you did. But what this verse tells us is that we can have confidence now, it may not happen the way that you think it's gonna happen, and all of the things you want to happen may not happen. But what this says is that here on earth, the land of the living, you will be standing here on earth and will be able to look at your situation and say, God is good. Now, now it might have not all worked out the way that I wanted it to, but I can see the goodness of God in all of it. That is an encouragement when you're in the midst of that place of despair as we wait for the Lord. Last one, Psalm 34. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
every single thing that's happening in your life, God sees, God is near to us in the midst of it and God is working through it in all things for his glory and for our good. Listen, if you're in a season of despair, a season of waiting for the Lord, get your Bible open. These alone are the words of eternal life. These alone are the words that we can find security in during the midst of a storm. And as we wait for the Lord, we trust in his word. It says, I hope in your word back in Psalm 130. It's the same word, hope, trust. The idea here is that it, it is absolute certainty that it's going to happen. It's an assumption that it's going to come to pass. We're going to get to the place that's on the ticket. I don't know when, I don't know how long it's gonna take. We might have to take a detour around Atlanta because there's some weather, I don't know. But we're gonna get to the place that's on the ticket. I can hope in what God says is true and we can find security in that. And notice he gives back to our text, all the way back there. He gives this as an example. I'm, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. It's, it's the idea of these watchmen who are standing on the walls of a city, looking out into the darkness. Now remember, um, there's no electricity. So they're looking out across the countryside to total darkness, just what the moon and the stars can provide. That's it. And they're standing there all night long. They don't have an iPhone they can just play around on. They don't have a watch they can look to and be like, oh, it's, you know, three more hours till the sun comes up. They, they don't know. They're just sitting there all night, watching, waiting. Now, how sure is it that the morning is coming? Pretty darn sure. It happened again this morning. I'm pretty sure it will happen tomorrow. They can be certain it's coming. Now they don't know how long. And there are periods of the night that feel like, oh, I don't know if the dawn is ever gonna get here. And that's how it feels to us many times. But the dawn is coming with certainty. We can trust in what he said. The waiting isn't hopeless. We can trust, we can hope in his word. Lord, I don't see it right now. And at times it feels like I may not ever see it but I believe that it's coming like the dawn is. If any of you have ever uh, run a marathon, you're crazy. Um, but if any of you have ever run a marathon or a long distance race, you know, you get to that point in the race where you're like, is the finish line ever gonna get here? My goodness, what mile are we at? How, 21, that's it? Oh my goodness. And it just feels like it's never, gonna get here. Now it's coming. It's still 26.2 miles. It's not getting longer. It feels like it, but it's not getting there. But it feels like, just like these watchmen, the dawn, will it ever come? When I'm in that season of distress, that place of despair, I'm longing with expectation, but I have hope and I have trust because I know that the dawn is coming. Now, it's really interesting to me that, so we've got this whole Psalm and the only phrase in the whole Psalm that actually is repeated, the only line 
that's repeated is this one. This is not a typo with our slides. It's actually, there's two of them. It says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. And honestly, I used to think that was a little weird. Like, really? Out of, I mean, there's a lot of great lines in this. A lot of things that I could think to repeat. Uh, plentiful redemption. I mean, you know, the, uh, if, who could, but with you, there's forgiveness. But with you, there's forgiveness. But it doesn't repeat any of those. The thing that's repeated is this line. And I, it's, it's been so weird to me for years. And then I went through a long trial where I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And then I read this passage again. Oh, makes sense to me now. Now I get it. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. You see, there's desperation in that, in a place of expectation that God would work and calling out to him that he would do it quickly. Because the deeper the depths, the greater the longing for God to work. And when you're in that place of despair, of darkness, of distress, of the depths, like the psalmist talks about, there is a great longing for God to work. The deeper the depths, the greater the longing for God to work. See, when I'm in despair, I call to the Lord and I remember forgiveness and I wait and I trust. And then when I'm in despair, we hope in the Lord. He moves from misery to forgiveness to hope and then culminating in assurance. It's so interesting because if you read this passage in its entirety, one through six are all individual. He's speaking about himself to God. And then here in verse seven, he changes it to we together. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He turns from just talking about himself to talking to the whole community. He has experienced God working in the waiting so much that he turns to his sisters and his brothers in the community to encourage them along in unity in a period of deep distress and deep despair. As we talked about last week with unity together, as we dwell together, that's what this is talking about. It's doing this together. When you're in a period of despair, of darkness, of deep distress, turn to the community of faith. It's so easy for us to want to isolate ourselves and want to just sit there. I get it. I've had the days where you don't want to get out of bed. I want to stay here by myself forever. That's what it feels like. It's the worst thing you can do. Get to community. That's what he's encouraging here. Oh, Israel, all of us as people of God, hope in the Lord together. We hope in the Lord. Many people in this room right now are going through a season of despair, but many of you have been through a difficult season of waiting and you've seen the Lord work. 
You've seen the answer to prayers. You've seen him bring those things about. I wonder what I would love on every one of our campuses. I'm not gonna make you say anything, but if, if you have been that person, if you have been in a dark place of despair, waiting and waiting and trusting on the Lord and the Lord has answered, just raise your hand, just all around us. Look around every campus at the people who have seen God work time and time again. And for those of us who were in a period of despair, let that be an encouragement. We hope in the Lord. That's what we do as a people of God. There are people all around you who've been in that place of despair. They've been in that darkness. They've been in the depths, not seeing a way out, waiting for the Lord to work, waiting and waiting and waiting. I promise you that flight took a whole lot longer than they wanted. And every one of those hands that went up are times that God reached down and answered that prayer. And I have found in my own life and as I have talked to believers time and time and time again, that when God puts you through a season of waiting, when he puts you through a season of despair that is ongoing, when his answer comes, it almost never looks like what I thought it would look like, but it is always better than what I thought it would be. It is always immeasurably more than I could ask or imagine every time. But it is so easy in that period of distress to doubt and to worry. But look at this, and with him is plentiful redemption, he says in verse seven. What God's answers are going to be are plentiful for us. We don't need to worry. He's not a stingy God. He's not gonna just, well, okay, here, here you go. Here's a life preserver. No, he's gonna lift you up out of that distress and he is going to answer. He has a total willingness to save. We have hope that can be rooted in what he's already done for us in Jesus Christ, what we've already seen him do. We see the promises of God's word and we have seen them come true time and time and time again. And we look around us, all around us each weekend and see people who have seen that story come to pass in their life, take encouragement in our hope together that we can have confidence in this redemption. He will redeem his people from all their iniquities. All of the things that are happening in your life and in mind, the Lord will work. Again, it won't often look the ways that we expect it to, or maybe even the ways that we want it to, but every single time it's better than what we could have imagined. Well, I said at the beginning that I hope and I pray this weekend service is a time where we can meet with the Lord. And I trust that we've already been able to do that. But I, as we come to a close, I, I would love to just create a little bit of space for uh, people who are going through a season of distress, a season of darkness in their life right now. If that's you, I'm gonna invite you in just a moment to take a step, uh, not gonna embarrass you in any way, but I have found in my life so often 
how important it is to have those benchmark moments, those stake in the ground moments. I can see where I was kneeling beside that chair at home in that room when God met me and spoke to me. And I am sure of that. I can see where I was not that long ago around a fire pit with a couple of brothers when they spoke encouraging words to me that I will never forget. I remember those times. And in those times of darkness, it's so important for us to have the times that we can point back to, God, I met with you there. You didn't answer all of it just yet, but I believe that you're going to. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel in Chicago. Thanks for joining us for our study of six of the Psalms of Ascent from the Old Testament. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and get ready to open God's Word together.